Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles once again to the 12th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, our text today. Our simple title of the message, Are You Ready? Are You Ready? Now, if you have children at home, the question, are you ready, is an oft-repeated one. Are you ready for school? Are you ready for piano lessons? Are you ready for church? And most of us have a lingering fear from time to time that we have failed to remember something that we were supposed to. Sometimes that uh, fear manifests itself in our dreams. I have the same dream almost every Saturday night. And that dream is that I'm supposed to be preaching, but I can't find my Bible. And if I find my Bible, I can't find my notes. If I can't find my notes, I can't find my text. And I wake up in a, in a sweat. And it's a terrible feeling to know that you have failed to remember. You're not prepared. You're not ready. And so the Lord Jesus tells his disciples they need to be ready for his second coming. And so let's read about that. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus says to his disciples, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from their wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Surely I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so blessed are those slaves But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers." And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now we find in this section of scripture Jesus giving his disciples three warnings at least. The first warning you remember is beware the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious hypocrites. And remember leaven was that element that put in dough caused it to expand. And 
it worked its way through the entire lump of dough. And he's saying to his disciples, don't let the attitude of the Pharisees be named among you because before you know it, it's who you are. And then he warns them a second thing. He says, beware the sin of greed. And he illustrated the problem of the sin of greed with the parable of the foolish farmer. You remember the man, he had a bumper crop. He said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll put my feet up and I'll enjoy a long and unproductive retirement. God called that man a fool because he said that very night his life was going to be required of him. He assumed that he would live to old age and God said that's a foolish thing to assume. And then the third thing we see in our text this morning, Jesus says to his disciples, beware of being unprepared for his return. And to illustrate the importance of preparing for his second coming, the Lord uses three metaphors that we'll look at this morning in order. The first is of a servant awaiting his master. The second is of a master awaiting a thief. And thirdly, a steward who's put in charge of, of servants. Now, when I was a young boy, it seems like many in the evangelical world were obsessed with trying to answer the question as it relates to the Lord's coming of when. When's it going to be? There was an assumption that the Lord's coming, they just want to know when. Well, the Bible says it's not our business to know the hour or the day. It's our business to know that it's going to happen. And that is my attempt today. I'm not going to try to set a date for you. I'm just going to try to appeal to you, to plead with you, to be ready whenever the Lord might come. Seems like we don't hear much about the Lord's second coming anymore, and that is a tragedy because it is an essential part of the gospel. His incarnation, his perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and one day his second coming. Maybe we've become distracted by the things of the world and we are no longer concerning ourselves with such an essential matter. And so maybe the Lord would call us back to a great longing for the Lord's second coming today. So look at verse 40. Verse 40 uh, says, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. And so because the culture at large is not looking for the Lord does not discourage me. It encourages me because the Bible says He's coming at an hour when they're not looking for it. So beginning in verse 35, we have the first parable or metaphor. It says, be ready for the Lord's second coming like something else. And he compares it. And so we're to be ready for the Lord's second coming like servants awaiting their master. Look at verse 35. He says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from a wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Be dressed in readiness. If you have King James Version, I love its translation, which says, have your loins girt about you. Now we find that phrase a number of times in the New Testament. Jesus tells his disciples to have their loins girt about us. Now that means nothing in our vernacular, but in that day it did because men and women wore traditionally long flowing robes. And if you were out in the marketplace or you were going to synagogue, those robes went nearly to the ground. But if you were getting ready to cast your nets, if you were a fisherman, or plow your field, if you were a farmer, you would gird your loins. That is, you would take the hem of that robe and you would pull it up and you would cinch it tight with a leather belt so that your legs would not be restricted, that you'd have freedom of, of movement. 
And so when Jesus tells his disciples to be dressed in readiness or to have their loins girt about them, that is at any moment they needed to be ready for action because he could come at any time. But not only did he say keep your loins girt about you, but he said keep your lamps lit. Now Jesus in another place in the New Testament told an entirely different parable about ten virgins. Some of them made preparations and bought oil for their lamps. Others ran out of oil. That's the similar thing he's saying here. Light or lamp signifying knowledge. He's saying stay and walk in the truth constantly lest he come at a time when you're not walking with him. And, and the extended metaphor here is of a wealthy master. We know he's wealthy because he has a large household, many servants. And he's called away to a wedding feast. Now you know in those days weddings were a production. You didn't go for an hour or two and have punch and cookies. You, you were called, you were summoned really, to your friend's home where he would put on a wedding feast for his son. And it was a display of wealth. And the wedding feast lasted until the food ran out. And sometimes that was several days. And it was at least up into the wee hours of the morning. And so the point is, these servants didn't know the hour or even the day when the master would return from the wedding feast. He says, even if it comes at the second or third watch, which is 9 p.m. To, to 3 a.m. Now, had he come in the middle of the day, likely they would have been up and alert as most people are in the middle of the day. But from 9 to 3 a.m., we kind of use our time, right? It's downtime, and usually for most of us, it's sleep time. But he says, don't even allow yourself to sleep, even if it's three in the morning when he comes back, because know this, he is certainly going to return. The job of the servant is not to fret about the hour. The job of the servant is to greet the master and open the door whenever he might knock upon it. Now we all like to be welcomed home after work. Uh, a typical weekday schedule for me is I, I get up in the morning, my wife fixes breakfast for the family, we eat together. I uh, put Emma Kate on the bus for school. Uh, the other kids start their homeschooling lessons and uh, twice a week I take Eliza with me here to the preschool. And I will generally work until closing time in the office, head home and eat dinner with the family and then most weekday nights I go out and make visits or have meetings here at the church or counseling sessions. But I, I try to make it a point with four small children at home to be home before their bedtime, which is somewhere between 8.30 and 9 most nights. Now, I have a key to my front door, but I can't tell you the last time I used it. Because when I get home, I ring the doorbell because my kids are still young enough to be childlike enough to argue over who gets to see Daddy first. <laughs> and I'm still egotistical enough to let them do it. And so I knock on the door, I ring the bell, and, and they come running down the stairs or from wherever they are. They're, they're ready and willing and eager and enthusiastic to meet their dad. Now, I expect when they're 15 or 16, that won't happen. <laughs> but, but the point that Jesus makes to his disciples is don't lose that enthusiasm for the Lord's second coming. Be enthusiastic, be ready, be walking in truth whenever he might return. And he even attaches an unexpected, at least to me, an unexpected blessing attached to this sort of readiness. Look at verse 37. He said, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. That is, with their loins girded and their lamps lit. 
Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Now don't skip over that. He's saying that when he comes again, he's going to serve us. Well, likely he's speaking here of the marriage supper of the land that we'll study a little later on in the Gospel of Luke. But it certainly alludes the night of his death. The Lord washed the disciples' feet and he broke the bread and gave them the wine. Um, he fed them even after his resurrection, didn't he? Cooked them broiled fish there on the Sea of Galilee on the shore. So I take it then that the Lord is going to reward good and faithful servants. Now that is a theme throughout the New Testament. There is a judgment whether or not we'll enter the kingdom of heaven called the great white throne of judgment. But there's also the Bema seat judgment of Christ wherewith he will distribute crowns, trophies, rewards to those who have been faithful to him. The Bible says some people are going to have all their rewards burned up because it's going to prove to be for the wrong motives. Wood, hay, and stubble. But he says those things that remain are precious stones and pure metals. And only the Lord is capable of judging that. I don't know about you, but I want to have some rewards in heaven. The Bible says some people are going to make it to heaven as if by fire. I take it to mean they're going to smell like the smoke of hell. They get so close. But you don't want to go to heaven like that. You want to be rewarded for your good and faithful service. There is a blessed reward day. But there's a second metaphor concerning our readiness for his coming. Not only should we be like servants awaiting their master, Jesus says we should be like a master who's waiting on a thief. Look at verse 39. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Now in the ancient world, most common people lived in homes made out of mud bricks. They couldn't afford chiseled stone for the most part and there was not a lot of lumber. So, so thieves had devised a way that they could tunnel into a house through those mud bricks while the homeowner slept nearly silently and steal all the valuables and be gone by the next morning. Jesus elsewhere in the book of Revelation described his second coming as a thief in the night that a lot of people are going to be surprised. He means that people, by and large, will not be looking for it or expecting it. Well, if you've ever been a victim of a robbery, you know that feeling of being caught unawares. You know how violated you feel. Shortly after Melissa and I bought our first home, I, I left one morning through the front door to go to work, and I discovered my car that I'd left on the driveway overnight had been robbed. The robbers had bashed in the driver's side window. I don't know why. I leave it unlocked. And... Uh, they had dumped all the papers in the floorboard and they had stolen my birthday present, which was an iPod. And you young people look that up on Google as well. It's been a while. But later that day, when I got home from work, I discovered that it wasn't just my car, that nearly every car on our block had been broken into that very same evening. Well, I began to imagine what I would have done had I been awake in the middle of the night and heard someone breaking into my car. In fact, I even considered... Um, organizing the men in the neighborhood to, to keep watch at night and have a, a lookout. But you know what I found out about robbers and thieves? They don't tell you when they're coming back. 
In fact, they come when you're not expecting it, not when your senses are keenest. Alistair Begg is one of my favorite preachers. He tells a story concerning this verse about a young couple in Great Britain who had a similar experience to Melissa and I about being robbed, but, but their car was not broken into, it was stolen. They woke up one morning, discovered their brand new car was, was gone from the drive. A few days later, to their shock and amazement, they woke up again and looked outside and the car had reappeared on the driveway. And under, and on the windshield rather, was an envelope with their names on it. They opened it and found a letter from the thief, unsigned of course, apologizing for taking the car in a moment of weakness and he wanted to make amends because he felt so guilty. So he left them two very nice tickets to a popular show at a local theater that evening. And while they were at the show, he broke into their house and cleaned them out. <laughs> Thieves come when you're not expecting it. That's the point that Jesus is making. Be ready, be alert. The point is we have to live as if Jesus could come at any moment because he can. We believe as Baptists, don't we, in the imminent return of Christ. That is at any moment he could come. And so there's one more metaphor that the Lord uses about readiness concerning his second coming. It's in verse 41. It's like a steward in charge of servants. You know that a steward is simply a manager of a household who manages property belonging to a master. And that steward from time to time has to give an accounting of how he's managed the master's property. Jesus tells a number of parables in the gospel about good and bad stewardship. Look at verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Now that seems to be a preoccupation of Peter's mind. He probably is representing all the disciples here when he said this. Is this just for us or does everybody have to be a good steward? Well, the answer is yes and no. All of life is a stewardship. All of us are going to be held accountable, every man, woman, boy and girl. But the application is personal, Peter. Sometimes when, when we hear a sermon, we're interested in how to apply that to our spouse or our children or our boss. But when you listen to a sermon, you need to first and foremost ask the question, what is the Lord calling me to do? I'll give you another example of this. Turn to John 21. Gospel of John chapter 21, the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. And here is Jesus giving his disciples last minute instructions He's going to ascend back into heaven. He's wanting them to know that their life is not going to be easy. Remember he told him a servant's not better than his master. They saw Jesus slandered and beaten and ultimately crucified. And he's telling them, look, you're going to face some of the same things. And this is what he says to Peter, verse 18, John 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish. That's not just a comment on old age. He's speaking specifically because verse 19 says, Now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, Follow me. And what he's saying is, Follow me to your death. And how does Peter respond to that? Verse 20, Peter turning around saw the disciple who Jesus loved. That's John following them. And the one who also had leaned back on the bosom at the supper and said, Lord, is this the one who betrays you? 
So Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? <laughs> Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to die for my sake. He didn't say, Lord, give me strength. He said, what about John? Why does he not have to die? And Jesus rebuked Peter and says, if I want John to stay alive until my second coming, what is that to you? And of course, the people who heard that began to gossip and slander and say, well, Jesus said John was immortal. He's not going to die. Of course, that's not at all what Jesus says. Well, go back to Luke 12 now and you'll understand Peter's mindset when he says, is this about us or, or is everyone included? The lesson simply is that of stewardship. And the more I have lived this life, the more and more I am convinced that all of life is about stewardship. That is, what will we do with the blessings that God entrusts to us? Now, God entrusts everyone with some blessing, some more than others, some in greater degree than others. But you will not be judged, friends, based on the blessings that God gives your neighbor. You will be judged based on what you do with the blessings that God entrusts to you. Note the last half of verse 48. It says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask the more. We will be judged whether we are faithful or unfaithful stewards based on what we do with the blessings entrusted to each of us. The Apostle Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he is addressing a big problem of the church at Corinth, which was comparison, factionalism. Some were saying, well, I think Paul's the greatest preacher. Some are saying, I think Apollos is or Peter. Paul is frustrated by that kind of talk because he says, look, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, if you want to consider us, we preachers, consider us in two regards. One, as servants, and the word, word really as slaves of Jesus. And it was not just a generic word for slave, it was a specific kind of slave, the lowest slave in the ship, the one with the least worth according to the Roman government. That's how Paul said view him. And then he says, and secondly, as stewards of the mysteries of Christ. Paul understood that he had been blessed with direct revelation from Christ. And his job was to distribute it far and wide to as many people as possible and do so faithfully. And he said, here's what's required of a steward is that he's been found trustworthy. That he does what he's called to do. And it's a great relief, I hope, to you to know that God doesn't call any Christian to be successful, whatever your definition of that. He calls all Christians to be faithful, trustworthy, to do what He has called you specifically to do. And the image in this third metaphor is of a, a master. Once again, he's gone on a journey. This time, not a wedding, I take it, probably to conduct business. He's going to be gone a protracted period of time, months, if not years. And he leaves the servants, the stewards, in charge of his property. They are to manage his household, his business, and the other servants. And he says, you're either going to be counted a trustworthy, a blessed slave, or an untrustworthy, a cursed slave. Look in verse 42. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward? Because that's how all of us want to be considered. Faithful, trustworthy, and we made good decisions whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. That's their food. 
Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now there's another, I think, verse that talks about rewards. We're going to have responsibilities in the kingdom that is to come if we are faithful in this life. Blessed is that slave, verse 43, whom his master finds so doing, that is doing what he's called to do when the master comes home. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of his possessions, but, verse 45, that conjunction of transition, but if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Two kinds of slaves, the faithful, the unfaithful, the blessed, the cursed. Now some Christians have read that and been concerned that it seems to say that we could lose our salvation. Well, taking the whole of Scripture is the way we must interpret the Scripture. Scripture based upon Scripture, that certainly can't be what it means. When he says he will assign the servant a place with the unbelievers, that is, he will just correctly designate him. If a person lives like an unbeliever, talks like an unbeliever, acts like an unbeliever, he will be in, treated as an unbeliever because he is an unbeliever because the Scripture says you shall know them by their fruit. But if a person serves the Lord, makes progress in sanctification, is faithful in carrying out the assignment that the Lord has given him, not only will he be counted a blessed slave or servant, he will be rewarded. The scripture also seems to indicate here that there are degrees of punishment. Now I teach and believe here a literal heaven and a literal hell. But oftentimes, usually young people who are at the height of their awareness of what is fair and just will come to me and say, what about that innocent person in the deepest, darkest jungles who never heard about Jesus? Well, a couple things about that. There is no innocent person in the deepest, darkest jungle any more than there's an innocent person in Keller, Texas. Paul says in the book of Romans that all men are without excuse. God has put the law in our heart and he's revealed himself in nature. But that is not to say that everyone has equal access to the gospel. Remember what he said, to whom much is given, much will be required. And I want to remind you one more time, I've said this to you many times. I truly believe that one of the most dangerous places in the world is right here in this building. If you can come week after week and hear the true gospel week after week and walk away and say, no thanks, or like the people in this parable, later, you know people who say later, right? They say, I, I, I give intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel, but hey, I'm young and healthy and I want to live it up for a while. And maybe later after I'm married and kids come along, then I'll start serving the Lord. Then I'll bow my knee to his lordship. They're like that foolish farmer who put his feet up and said, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Remember what God said about that man? He's a fool. Because none of us know whether we have another day. We say around here a lot, everyone's going to die. You don't know when. You better be ready. That's not totally accurate. 
Because the Bible says that some people are still going to be alive when the Lord comes again. So let me add a little amendment to that statement. Everyone's going to die or the Lord's coming back. And in either case, we don't know when, so we better be ready. Right? And so even if you think you're going to be the one who's alive, you need to be ready. You need to have your loins girt about you. You need to have your lamp lit. He, he says here, though, that the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in according with it will receive many lashes. Friends, that is a warning to the people living here today in Keller, Texas, who hear the gospel on the radio and through their computer monitors and through written publication, time after time, day after day, month after month, week after week, and say, not yet. He says, if the Lord comes back and you're not ready, you are going to be judged most severely. Well, when we read a passage of Scripture, we're to ask of it certain diagnostic questions, aren't we? I helped you out a little bit in the title today. The question is, are you ready? I'm speaking to both Christians and non-Christians there. Obviously, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord, you're still in your sins, do so. But as a Christian, I'm calling you to live in a state of readiness. And so that leads to a second diagnostic question, which is, how can I prepare? How can I be ready for the Lord's second coming? I've jotted down four ways, four steps, if you will. You probably can think of others. First and foremost is faith and repentance. Paul said salvation is by grace through faith. If you have never done so, I urge you, I plead with you, Call upon the name of the Lord. Come to Him on His terms with empty pockets and outturned hands and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Give up on anything that you've been depending upon, whether that's your own perceived goodness, your own family name, your, your attempts to make up for the sin with good behavior. Give up on all of that. And by simple faith, receive the free gift through Jesus Christ, and He will grant you repentance. But if you are saved here today, you also need to hear this word. If you're like most of us, there have been days in your life when you look around the house and it looks like a tornado has come through. And there's three days worth of unwashed dishes in the sink. And perhaps your spouse may say to you, I pray no one knocks on the door today and you know how embarrassed you are when a guest comes over unannounced or unexpected and finds the house in such a state. Well, friends, many of us live in a spiritual state not unlike that. There are unclean, unpure things in our life that we've not addressed. Our lives are in disorder. And the Bible says our God is a God of order. And we need to get ready and the good news is that the Lord is gracious. We're not promised another day, but we have this moment to repent and renew. And the Lord is good and gracious if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sin and cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. From this day forward, you can maintain a sense of diligence and, and vigilance and readiness. And related to that, a third thing we must do is to set our affections on the eternal rather than the temporary. One of Satan's greatest strategies for Christians living where we are, I'm convinced, is simply distraction to keep us running after this car or that technological device or that new clothing line that came out. He keeps us distracted with these things. And before we know it, the shot clock of our life expires and we find we're not ready. Our affections have been set on the physical. The Apostle Paul says to set your eye on heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We've been studying through the book of Hebrews here on Wednesday night and we studied a blessed verse this week where the author of Hebrews says that our hope in Christ is the anchor of our soul. And I told our people, you know, if you're out in a boat and the the waves get choppy and you get a little nervous, you might take your anchor and throw it down to the bottom, hoping it clings to a rock. But what Christians need today is not to throw our anchor overboard. We need to throw our anchor upward to heaven. And the Bible says if we will do that, if we will put our hope in Christ alone, he says that anchor is sure and steadfast, that it, it makes a good hold and we know Jesus is not going to move because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Set your affections on the eternal rather than the temporary. And then one last thing. Here's how you can be ready for Jesus' return is to have a martial mindset. The word martial means military. And those of you who've been in the military know the worst thing that could be said of you as a soldier is that you were derelict in your duties. Specifically, that you fell asleep on watch. In fact, in most armies of the world, that is a crime punishable by death. Especially in time of war, to fall asleep on your watch. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Look, I'm going away. You're going to be in a war. This is what Paul told Timothy over and over. That a good soldier does not entangle themselves with civilian matters. And friends, so many Christians are up to their ears in civilian matters. And we're derelict in our duties and we've forgotten about the most important thing is that Jesus is coming again. And he's saying, get rid of all that stuff. Gird up your loins, light your lamp. Get on watch and stay on watch. Doesn't matter if it's three in the morning so that when the Lord comes back, you're ready to meet him. And that is my prayer for all of us today. Let's ask him to help us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray for a person perhaps in this room today who has heard the gospel year after year and day after day. Perhaps they've even intellectually agreed with it but they've said not yet. And their life has become filled with the things of this world. And one day soon the Lord's coming back and they're not gonna be ready. And the Bible says that they are going to be punished more severely than that person who had never heard the gospel at all. 
Father, I pray if there's a person like that in our company today, that your spirit would convict them of sin and judgment and righteousness, that they would uh, turn from that sin, confess it to you, and receive from Jesus his free gift of salvation. Father, I expect that there are many of us in this room who would have to admit there are days when our minds don't go to heaven, that we are totally preoccupied with the things of this world. And if that had been the day that Christ would return, we would have been embarrassed because our life was in disorder. Lord, I'm grateful that we don't have to live another day like that, that you've promised to forgive us and to restore us. Father, I pray that we would live every day from this point forward with a, with a sense of readiness and of expectation, and I would add one other, enthusiasm about the prospect that this could be the day that Christ would return. And we say with the church, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.